My name's Emily. I'm a senior in high school. I'm part of our youth group here. And this morning, I'm going to be reading from Acts 3, 1 through 10. So if you'll stand with me, I think most of you are already standing. Yeah. Um, Acts 3, 1 through 10 says, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gates called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same son, man, who used to sit begging at the temple gates called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And you may be seated. Thanks, Emily. Uh, good morning. Nice to see you. Um, I'm borrowing an iPad from a friend today, and my waking nightmare last night was that I forgot the passcode to unlock my friend's iPad. I didn't have any of my notes, and I was freaking out. So the iPad's unlocked, so I'm halfway there. Thank you. Wow. Incredible. Um, yeah, my name is Connor. Um, I'm part of the staff team here at Mosaic. Um, a big part of my job is I get to um, spend time with Emily and her peers uh, with our high school community, which I love. And um, I love them. And some of them are sitting over here, which is excellent. And uh, they, they get to hear me talk at them quite a bit. Um, so sorry, but the rest of you don't. And so you're welcome. Um, yeah. But hey, um, we're going to jump into that passage that Emily's read for us, um, but I'm going to pray again, if you don't mind. So pray with me. Uh, Holy Spirit, thank you for the words of those songs where we have invited you to come and transform us, to change us, to fill us. And um, God, as we step into this text, um, we want to um, believe in what we call the Bible. We call it your word. And so God, we trust that these are your words to us for today that they're here to guide and convict and encourage and transform us. And so would you open our hearts, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you do those things in us? Um, thank you that you're here with us, and that Holy Spirit, you are our guide. And so um, open our eyes to your truth, and um, invite us to respond to you in obedience, love, joy, and amazement. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, as Emily read, we're, we're um, starting into chapter three of Acts, and um, Acts is telling the story of Jesus's post-resurrection time on earth, and then subsequently what happens uh, with the people who have been following him and who begin to follow him after his ascension into heaven. And so in my mind, Acts is a little bit like an experiment in the beginning. It's kind of this like, okay, let's see what happens as Jesus uh, leaves earth in bodily form and these people are kind of tasked with carrying forward his, his, the message of his life, death, and resurrection and um, his ministry that, he, that um, he passed on to them. 
And so Luke, who's one of Jesus's biographers, he wrote a gospel account in the book of Luke, um, continues with Acts, which is kind of the part two. And I think Luke is answering some of these questions. Will the message of Jesus's life continue to spread? Was this savior like kind of a flash in the pan, extraordinary human, or was there something about him that really is transferable to regular humans and actually available even to us? Will his initial followers kind of rise to the occasion and and embody kind of the mantle that Jesus gave to them, or will they kind of fizzle out into obscurity? And then Jesus seems to offer this more complete and fulfilling vision of what it means to be human and in real relationship with God. And I think Acts is inviting us to consider this question, like, is that really true? Is that really available? And how could it possibly happen? And um, if you've been around the last couple weeks, those questions begin to get answered like rather quickly. And um, one of the most striking answers is that in Acts chapter 2, we witness this event that's kind of known as Pentecost, where um, Jerusalem is full of uh, Christian Jews, people from all over the world who are there for a festival. And what happens is the the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes in this really dramatic, tangible um, kind of manifest presence, where, where the presence of God is seen, felt, and heard. Um, and this kind of miraculous feeling by the Holy Spirit kind of catalyzes this growing and small movement of disciples to live and act like their rabbi, Jesus. And um, last week, um, Avery Stafford spoke, and he was speaking about kind of the practices, the characteristics, and the commitments that define this young community. And he talked about um, that they were marked by a submission to the teachings of Jesus by way of the apostles, the apostles' teaching, uh, a real dedicated like time and effort given to being with one another, um, kind of that old church word of fellowship, um, the sharing of, of life meals and kind of the meal, the communion meal, um, reminding us of Jesus' sacrifice, and by prayer, um, a devotion to prayer. And, and their prayer life is, is kind of interesting historically that um, as we read in that passage, the, the Jewish, many, many of these first Christians are Jews, and they um, kind of maintain their, a lot of their Jewish identity, their religious rhythms as practicing Jews, and that is kind of um, highlighted and brought alongside kind of this uh, depth to prayer, this invitation to personal relationship with God that Jesus handed to them. And so if we back up just a couple of verses from where Emily just read, uh, we get kind of one of these classic summary statements from Luke. And this was part of what Avery uh, taught on last week. So starting in verse, um, or chapter 2, verse 43, it says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so if you're reading Acts uh, chapter 2 to your hypothetically, or real life in my case, if you're reading this to your three-year-old at bedtime, like this is a great place to kind of close the book, kiss on the forehead, good night, like happily ever after for this little church. Um, it's a lovely place to wrap up. It's this it's awesome summary of kind of the transforming power of the Spirit coming, what happened amongst this little community. But to me, I, I think this text kind of begs for more. Uh, the nagging, nagging questions are like, is that it? Is this going to last? Is this hyperbolic? No doubt it's incredible that we, well, we've witnessed this um, event of Pentecost and the filling of the Holy Spirit into lots of different people, and many people are being saved. 
But that phrase, like many signs and wonders, I think the question is, what, what does the Holy Spirit do in real life for real people? Like, is that, is that, can that continue? John, in John 14, Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So this is in Jesus's plan. This is the invitation. And so whether it's quantity or quality of more than Jesus did, like, my question is like, did you really mean that Jesus? And is there, is there really more? And so that's like, I think that's what this passage is inviting us to consider. What does the Holy Spirit do for real people in real life? And I think there's um, kind of three big answers that we'll see as we continue into the text. And so um, back to Acts 3, Acts 3, one day, I'm going to stop and make commentary on the first two words. How about that? Uh, one day, this is like, this is, um, this is like Luke's, this is like some of the way he writes. He'll kind of uh, sum up a chunk with like a big summary statement. So we, we read that at the end of chapter two, and then he'll, he'll pivot and he'll go one day. And it's kind of this like drop into the real life lived story of what's happening. Um, and this whole story, just as we, as we read it together today, this whole story, I think reads just like a story from the gospel accounts. But the key difference is that Jesus isn't there, like in bodily form. So it's like we're reading the life of Jesus, but it's not there. But you feel the text zooming in, like we're entering the scene, like we get to look over the shoulders of the people that this story is telling. So Acts 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, asked to John, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something for him. Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, at this point, they're kind of leaders or figures in this emerging church community. And just like we talked about, they're main, they uh, maintain a lot of what was true about them as Jewish men. And they are where they would always be on this day at this time. They're walking into the temple for afternoon prayer with the crowds of other Jewish people who are doing that. It's, what I think is important here is this is like totally ordinary. Like there's nothing particularly interesting or shocking about the scene so far. The Jewish Christians maintain their Jewish religious rhythms alongside kind of their new um, Christian identity. And it continues very ordinarily. There's a man who's, the text tells us, is lame from birth, he's paralyzed, disabled, and he's in his usual spot. Um, he said it was there every day. He's next to one of the temple gates asking, begging for the support and generosity of the people who are going in to perform their religious duties. So while the setting is like ancient and unfamiliar, um, most of us has not, have not lived in first century Israel in Jerusalem, um, we, we can kind of get lost in the, in, the, in the Jewish details of this story, but I think this, this, this context is like really easy to translate to us even um, as modern Americans. Most of us, um, the majority of us, maybe even all of us, like at some point this week on our way to, to work or school or back home, maybe even on your drive or your walk or your bike ride to church this morning, you passed somebody just like this lame beggar who is asking for money. This is uh, uh, kind of one of these reputations about our city is that there are people um, in need, kind of out in public, um, who are asking for money. And, you know, like full disclosure, this, this, this just becomes kind of a white noise to our daily existence in some ways. 
and you can in, engage or you can turn your eye, but, it, but it's just, it's there, right? It's kind of there in every um, part of our day. And there's no real reason to expect that, like today is gonna be super different in this case than tomorrow. Like likely these same people are gonna be in these same spots asking for the same money, asking in need. So it's, it's I don't know, I, for me, it's easy to put myself there because it was true when I drove to church this morning. But instead of Peter and John just moving with the crowds past this man laying his, in his spot, there's this peculiar interaction that if, if you look at the text with me, it, 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 I think it starts with like eye contact, which is interesting. Verse three, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, asked did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Saw, look straight at, look at us, full attention, right? All of a sudden, there's like this layer of drama that's like, like this ordinary moment is transforming before our eyes. The passers-by don't just pass by, and this begging man in financial and physical need, I think his, his hopes kind of rise with the eye contact in some ways. Um, he's all of a sudden, his hope, his expectation um, are lifted. Verse six, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. So Peter, I'm assuming in partnership with the Holy Spirit, or maybe he's just like kind of riding the camp high of Pentecost. He's just like, I can do anything. Like, this is so much fun. Like, whatever it is, like he, he identifies this moment as this is not an ordinary moment. There's something that God wants to do here. And he kind of declares this guy's healing and lifts him to his feet. And in an instant, like the, it appears that this healing is like legitimate right away. And so this, this first answer to our question is, what does the Holy Spirit do in real life for real people? Is that it the spirit turns the ordinary into a container for the extraordinary. Like a totally regular, everyday occurrence in partnership with the spirit by Peter's obedience to the spirit becomes like this container for something magical, like nearly magical where there's um, kind of a scene cost all of a sudden. So here's two, two recent examples from my own life where um, something ordinary was happening and I think had potential to become extraordinary. So, um, Chloe and I and Simon live on the east side of Portland. We've got this awesome city park just a couple of blocks from our house. It's, um, it has like, I think it's like the most really tall trees altogether in the city. It's like funny, if you look at it from a high, high spot, it just looks like this one square block of just trees. And it's, it's really awesome. And so we, we walk around there a lot. We ride bikes around there a lot. Um, Simon's just recently started riding um, like a pedal bike without training wheels, subtle flex. And... Um, He's three. Did I say that? He's th no. Okay. Um, and so we're out for a bike ride. This is last week. We're out for a bike ride and we're around the park and we're walking in the park and all of a sudden we're like, I don't know, just maybe 20 yards away. And there's these real bright headlights like coming out of the park towards the sidewalk. I'm like, what in the world is happening? I get a little closer and there's this like, uh, what looks like brand new, real shiny purple, like lifted huge off-road tires, this Jeep Wrangler that's like in the park in the trees. Like, I don't know what it's doing. It's not going anywhere, but it's just there, headlights on, engine running. It's just in the, like, in the park next to the playground. And I'm like, so I'm, I'm immediately like pretty irritated and frustrated. I'm like, and you know Jeep people, like people have a Jeep, like they're kind of, 
I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's, Su it's Subaru people that are the problem, right? We know that. Um, so I'm like, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This dude's like in the park in his, in his Jeep. And, um, and, then, and then I think his wife is like kind of over there, like getting real low angle pictures of the Jeep, like these off-roading pictures. I'm like, dude, you're next to a playground. Like zoom out a little bit. There's like... Uh, and I'm irritated and, and there's a few other people around and his wife's like, get out of the park, get like drunk, get out of here. So she's like, she's starting to get a little embarrassed. So this guy pulls out and parks his, parks his Jeep alongside the road. And then he like comes back to the playground and we're sitting at the playground because Simon's climbing around. And I think by way of his version of an apology, he kind of like gives a little compliment to Simon's rain boots. And then he's like kind of standing there and he's like, so uh, yeah, we're here, we're visiting and uh, you guys live around here. And, and then kind of the question is like, what do you do for work? And I um, just full of the Holy Spirit, just look him right in the eyes. And I said, a regular job I do not have, but what I do have, I give you, get your Jeep out of the park in Jesus name. I didn't, no, I, <laughs> no, I, uh, I said, uh, Chloe, why don't you tell him first what you do for work? <laughs> and then I kind of said, I'm the pastor at a church. And, that's, and I like shut this down. I'm like, I'm irritated. I'm annoyed. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to like forgive you or like let you get away with being a jerk in my park. Right. And, and kind of in retrospect, like, you know, however this happened, like we're all of a sudden in this conversation and instead, I, I don't know where this is going. I'm not pretending like it, I knew it was going to be some miraculous thing that was going to happen. But this guy, like, um, kind of through a weird set of circumstances is engaging with me. And you know, like, it's not, not like all your neighbors talk to you all the time. And, and this guy, like, engages. And he's you know, where do you guys live? Or, and he's saying, we're, we're actually from out of town. We came up here to go to the pumpkin patch. And, and he's, like, trying to be conversational. And I'm like, no, 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 thank you, goodbye. Like, and we kind of went away. And I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not so sure that it was this ordinary thing that was going to be extraordinary. But I was kind of caught off guard with my frustration and shut it down and didn't give opportunity for the spirit to bring anything of it. Second example, um, a couple weeks ago, um, our uh, youth ministry joined a few other churches for an event in North Portland, a church up there for uh, an event called Unite. And it's, it was a gathering for kind of urban core churches to be together and to worship together, play together, learn from the scriptures, and, and kind of with the goal of being sent into our school year, empowered by the Spirit. And it was cool. Like, it was, it was a really beautiful event. Um, probably 150 kids um, and, like, beautiful time of worship, responding to God. Um, and uh, just as, as the event was winding down, um, I was kind of sticking around, cleaning up, walking around, just making sure kids get in cars to get rides home and that kind of thing. And earlier in the evening, I had led a game that involved quite a bit of silly string. And so I was feeling a little bit sheepish, like wanting to make sure I did a great job cleaning up because um, it's not my <laughs> church home where I do that every week, right? Um, but it's clean, look, you can't even tell. And um, but I wanted to make sure we did a good job cleaning up. And so I was kind of walking around this really big auditorium and there's, there's just one, there's one guy in there and he's kind of walking the seats and I'm like, oh, is he irritated with me? Is, is this okay? And um, I'd seen him earlier in the evening. He was wearing like a safety vest. He was helping cars park and that kind of thing. He's just a guy that goes to that church who uh, either got um, arm wrestled into serving or was there by his own volition. But he's there and he was just helping clean up. And I just went and introduced myself. Hey, I'm Connor. 
um, part of this church. We're here in, in your church. Just want to say thank you. Thank you for hosting us. Thanks for being gracious with um, middle schoolers and high schoolers in your house. And so we chatted real briefly and, and kind of out of nowhere, this conversation got real emotional on his end. Like the words started to slow and there was a little quiver in his voice. And I, I like had no idea where it was going because it was just like pleasantries back and forth. And, um, and all of a sudden he's just like, man, this is like a joy for my heart to see these students in this place worshiping. Like I have been, had a cynical lens on if Jesus is still moving amongst young people, I see our church dwindling in size and I, I just have not known what to do. So we were talking about that for a minute. And, and then the youth pastor at this church um, kind of came up and joined us. And, um, and what I put together was that this, this youth pastor at this church in North Portland has had, had a, kind of a hard time getting his church to see the value of what he does as a, as a pastor to young people. And in this moment, this volunteer, his name was John, um, John just goes, Vincent, man, I'm all in with you. Like, whatever you need, I'm your guy. Like, I'll be here next week. Let me know on Sundays you're serving. Can I sit with you guys on Sunday? Like, just in, in a moment, there was like kind of a repentance from a bad attitude, a total like hope rising to just this little witnessing of seeing young people worship and respond to God and like a recommitment to serving his church family. And that could have happened without me going and introducing myself and saying thank you. But just as like this little moment that was totally... I was trying to like do damage control by saying thank you and I'm sorry and thanks for having us. Like just turned into this like this beautiful point of connection between um, two guys that know each other and me who is just getting to know both of them. And in my mind, like that was a pretty ordinary moment that turned into something more. And I didn't have to go say thank you. I didn't have to go like make sure all my stuff was cleaned up, but it just became this something where I think the Holy Spirit turned something ordinary into a container for the extraordinary. So back into the text, what does the Holy Spirit do in real life for real people? The second thing that I think we see here is that the Spirit brings the power of God to real people just like Jesus did. And from what we've read so far, most obviously, it's the power of God that totally upends this paralyzed man's life who's been defined by his disability and his poverty. And there's like, I, I love Luke's description because there's kind of this palpability to the par paralyzed man's healing. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And let's not miss this. This is uh, the first like kind of miracle, recorded miracle story in Acts without Jesus being in bodily form on earth. So um, yes, there's been miraculous stuff happening, but this is the first like healing miracle that Acts records. It's this full and complete yes to the question of like, does Jesus's power transfer um, beyond his uh, death, resurrection and ascension? So yes, yes, the disciples, um, I'm sorry. This is, this is a full on Jesus story without Jesus being present in bodily form. And um, one of these important notes, and maybe your mind goes there too, is just what, what, what about Peter's words? Um, a lot of commentators have, have stuff to say about what uh, Peter says in verse six, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And that, that Greek word name, I don't know Greek, but this is a Greek word. The Greek word is uh, anoma, I think. And it basically, it comes with it more than just like a name. It comes with kind of the reputation, the authority, 
kind of the, the tidal weight um, of whatever you're pointing to, whatever you're um, talking about. So it's not that Peter is invoking kind of this like magical incantation or like a special catchphrase um, to get this guy healed, but rather he's like publicly declaring that it's Jesus's name and authority, Jesus's power that is coming into the moment to heal and bring fullness. Um, the commentators note that in between Acts 2 and 4, there are 11 references to the, the name, that phrase, the name of Jesus. And in Semitic thought, um, it, uh, the name expresses the very nature of a person's being. In Jesus, in John 14, um, just after those verses we read earlier, it, uh, Jesus says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So it's, it's similar to like um, when, a, when a person is performing a marriage, and they say, like, by the authority or by the power vested in me by the state of Oregon. You're, you're betting on the authority of that um, either entity, organization, or person, in this case, Jesus. So in the proclamation of this healing, Peter is boldly saying that's uh, one, it's not me who's healing this guy. Uh, two, it's actually Jesus. It's the name, the power, the authority of Jesus. He'll go on to say, this is God's doing, lest you have any other idea. And then third, the truth that Jesus is God, King, and still Lord, still healing, still moving, um, even though he's not bodily on earth anymore. So the spirit brings God's power to people just like Jesus did. And this man is um, healed in a moment and he responds how you would hope anybody would respond in this um, situation with joy, celebration, praising God. Um, William J. Larkin Jr. in his commentary on this passage says, the power was Christ's, but the hand was Peter's. So the church must ever act. This idea that um, it's not our hands as Jesus followers that, that do the healing, but there's this uh, relationship where, where the power of God often transmits through his embodied body, namely the church. And I think like, yes, this guy's, this, guy, this um, paralyzed man's healing is the most obvious healing passage in, in the text. But as I was reading this, the other big thing I think would be um, easy to miss is that this is not the first time we've met Peter, like in the biblical story. Uh, Peter and John are, are well represented in the gospel stories. They uh, lived and walked with Jesus. And um, Simon Peter, being one of these first disciples of Jesus called, we, we know quite a bit about him. Um, he's a fisherman. And maybe uh, the thing that's most obvious as you read about Peter is he's magnificent at like saying exactly what he's thinking and maybe even saying before he's thinking. Like, there's just all these accounts uh, where you kind of go, oh, Peter, and then you go, oh, Peter. Like, um, there, there's this like duality of Peter where he's like the first to speak and sometimes it's gold and then sometimes it's like, ooh, buddy, you, um, well, Jesus rebukes him several times. So um, in Luke 9, like Jesus asks, who do you say I am? He's speaking to the crowds and Peter pipes up. He says, you are Christ." Jesus. You are the Messiah. He's the first to kind of declare Jesus' identity with boldness out loud. In Matthew 16, Peter tries to talk Jesus out of going to Jerusalem to be crucified, and the classic line that Jesus uh, rebuts back to him is, get behind me, Satan. That is brutal, but thank you, Peter, for going first and taking that for all of us, right? Um, uh, if you remember at the Last Supper, kind of the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before he went to the cross, uh, Peter doesn't want Jesus to wash his feet. He's like, no, no, absolutely not. 
And then Jesus explains it to him and he's like, okay, okay, do it, like, do it all. Like dump the whole water on me, not just my feet. Um, and then most famously, um, at Jesus' crucifixion, Peter um, denies Jesus um, out of uh, fear, out of insecurity, um, kind of this, this brutal thing, this brutal act of betrayal um, to the one he walked with and loved. So this Peter, here in Acts 2 and 3, you'd almost think it's like somebody totally different. And you will remember that like, uh, this is not so far removed, maybe at max, like a couple of months from um, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. You'd almost think this is somebody totally different from these words that we're just reading. Peter's moving with intentionality. There's an eloquence to him. He's boldly proclaiming the gospel after Pentecost, and he's purposeful, courageous, and he goes on to fearlessly confront and preach to the crowds of um, religious authorities and the crowds that are witnessing these miracles. And so, so like, something has happened like, to and in Peter that, uh, that it, it's important not to miss. Like His proximity to Jesus and his empowerment by the Spirit has radically changed and matured and transformed kind of this hot-headed fisherman into like, a radical, obedient, and humble and bold witness of God's kingdom. And I, I really love that we still, like, you still see Peter in this healing thing. Like, I imagine John walking alongside Peter, and Peter kind of turns and engages this guy, and John's like, no, Peter, stop. Peter, stop it. Just keep walking. Like, but, but Peter's, like, going for it. And he, and, and he speaks with, like, a boldness and authority that's, kind of, that's pretty quick. And I was, I was thinking about Peter's transformation, and it, one of the analogies popped in my head is, like, in, in woodworking, like uh, a good worker, good woodworker is going to take take a piece of wood, of hardwood, something beautiful, and he's not going to just paint over it, but he's going to sand down the edges and apply like the right finish so that the grain really pops. So like the the identity, the true original identity and design of the thing is on display. And so like it's kind of that's what the Holy Spirit has done with Peter. It's not that like um, Peter is no longer Peter, but rather like the best parts of him are being highlighted. Um, the things that were weaknesses are becoming strengths. That is what like the Spirit of God does um, as, as it comes into a person's life. So what's the Holy Spirit do in real life for real people? It turns the ordinary into a container for the extraordinary and brings the power of God to real people like Jesus did. Uh, whether that's an instantaneous moment of healing or kind of a long arc trajectory of the spirit at work in somebody's life. Okay, we'll keep going. Acts 3, verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Sol Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by your own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Obviously, a scene has been caused. The ordinary has been disrupted. Uh, I, I love that the crowds know this guy who got healed. Like, it's just, it's, it's a instantaneous proof. Um, we know this guy who's been here all the time begging, and all of a sudden he's walking, jumping, and praising God. So there's obviously some wonder, amazement, curiosity. And now Peter kind of turns to the crowds with um, some explanation. And he launches into kind of another proclamation of the gospel story, much like he did right after Pentecost, um, that the God of Israel has glorified his son Jesus, and that he really points the finger. He's like, you killed Jesus, but there's grace for you. It's a grace for your ignorance. And because he's been raised to life again, there's invitation to be transformed. 
he discredits any idea that it's personal power or piety that has led to the healing. He again just points straight at Jesus. This is Jesus's power and name. Verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus's name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. And then skipping ahead, verse 19, um, this is the kind of the part of Peter's speech. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So our third answer is what does the Holy Spirit do for real people in real life is it produces amazement and wonder that are the raw materials for faith in Jesus. The crowds in their amazement and awe and wonder, it, uh, it seems like Luke makes it clear that it doesn't immediately translate to like faith or belief. He doesn't say they're the same thing, but clearly like there's this um, attention given. There's like this kind of perked up um, invitation to what, like, what is going on here. And, and Peter takes, takes the opportunity to explain like, um, and proclaim the truth of what's happening and who this Jesus is. Paul, um, in his letter to the Thessalonians, first letter to the Thessalonians, says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep con- conviction. So there's this beautiful partnership between um, the power of the Holy Spirit and truth articulated that points to where the source of that power comes from, that in combination produces response to Jesus as we're witnessing in these texts. That as the miraculous happens, like after Pentecost or after his healing, um, people are paying attention and it's the responsibility and response of Jesus' followers to say, here's what's happening. Let me tell you about how you can engage it. Um, Larkin, who we read uh, before, this, he continues, says, in the end, all is from Jesus, for faith is present not only as a human activity, but also a divine gift. And today the economy is the same. There is no room for relying on manipulative, magical technique. All Jesus asks us to bring is a humble dependence lived out in prayer and faith. So we see this modeled in Peter that um, He doesn't take the opportunity to show off or just say, this is all me, but instead he points to Jesus, that it's the power of Jesus on display through the work of the Spirit that brings real transformation and healing. I think this is an invitation for us, that um, as we are responding to ordinary moments becoming extraordinary, that we also trust, like it says in 1 Peter, uh, I'll just read this, 1 Peter uh, 3.15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks uh, for the re- or sorry, asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. So we're not asked to manufacture the miraculous, but we are asked to give an answer for the hope that we have when God invites us in those situations. Um, this is a, a little story I read in several different commentaries, but I think it's, it's um, an interesting one, so I'll just read it. It'll be on the screen. It said that the theologian, Thomas Aquinas, from the 13th century, once called on Pope Innocent II, when the Pope, when the latter was counting out a large sum of money, the Pope remarked, you see, Thomas, the church can no longer say, silver and gold I have none. Aquinas replied, true, Holy Father, but neither can she now say, rise and walk. Yeah, that's the right response, right? And, and I think Aquinas' point is not that money is a bad thing for a church to have or that resources are evil in and of themselves, but it's a reminder of what the true and more valuable inheritance of the church is. That through the Holy Spirit, through receiving Jesus' very spirit inside of us, the ordinary becomes extraordinary. 
um, the miraculously transforming awe and faith-inspiring power of God moves into real people's lives and that the raw materials of amazement and wonder have capacity to be transformed into faith and relationship with Jesus. Um, so uh, I want to give us maybe a couple opportunities for, um, for kind of responding to this. And I think the first thing um, that I've been doing, and maybe you might uh, feel inspired to do too, is just to reflect a little bit. Um, and, and my reflection question, um, well, let me give you a little context for the reflection question. So Chloe and I, we have our son, Simon. He's three. Um, a couple weeks ago, we found out that we have twins on the way. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're very excited. Um, we're very excited. Um, indeed. Yeah, keep telling him that. He's, I don't know if he's quite catching on, but it, it's happening whether he likes it or not. But as, as our family grows, one of these questions that I just feel the Spirit inviting me to, to ask is, is, will my children see their dad live a life of both truth and power? Like, is, is the evidence of my life lived showing that I believe that this is, could happen and will happen as I live out my daily life? Because truth is, is beautiful and worth living a life for, but I, I want and need, and our world desperately needs, like the power of the Holy Spirit to be evidenced through his people. And I think the follow-up question, and kind of the question that enables that first one is, is am I in the habit of asking the Spirit to give me eyes for everyday interactions and circumstances, expecting that the Spirit is gonna interrupt and invite me into extraordinary stuff by way of my ordinary life? And perhaps the third question is, maybe you do have some awe and wonder about this Jesus, but are you receiving the invitation for that awe and wonder to be translated into real belief and relationship with, with the Lord of all, with Jesus himself? So there'll be some time to reflect, but I want to invite us as we come to worship to also repent and receive. Uh, I think this, this passage and the conviction um, of interacting with the Spirit here might invite us to turn from living in our own power um, to be following Jesus kind of like with my categories as they are. I would hope that there'd be repentance from um, kind of missing opportunities to respond to what God is doing in the ordinary. And repentance is this big, what feels like often a heavy word, but the word um, in its original language just means to turn. So let that be an invitation too, to turn from getting in the way of what the Holy Spirit is doing in and through me. In verse 19 of Acts 3, I think is, is an important lesson for us to hear as we come to the table today. Peter says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that a times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That is what is true when we come to the text, when we receive the invitation from God, when we um, experience his word through the Holy Spirit, we get to receive a new refreshment from the Lord. And so that's what the invitation to this table, this communion table is. And that's how we want to receive it today. Last quote for you. This is a guy named Lloyd Ogilvie. He says, the power of Pentecost faith is for people in need. It is for our joy, but never for our private enjoyment. Rather, it is so that the things Jesus did for people, we can do. So I invite you to stand with me. I want to pray. We're going to continue in worship. 
And then as we continue in worship, the tables will be open for you to come and receive communion. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, um, thank you that it's only by your power that we even have capacity to receive your truth. Thank you that even our faith response to you is a gift. And God, um, I uh, so desperately want to live a life that is both full of truth and full of power. And I just uh, acknowledge and confess my inability to create those things on my own, uh, to craft the raw materials um, of my own life into one that pleases you or one that you could use. And so Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would come and fill us, that you would turn our ordinary lives into containers for extraordinary things, that your miraculous saving power um, would be evidenced both in the instant um, miraculous things like a healing miracle or a faith response to you, but also God, that we would be quick to worship you and point to you as we see you at work in the long arc of our lives of faithfully following you and responding to you over and over. Thank you, God, that our discipleship to you is not um, just one moment, but it's a cycle of returning to you, receiving from you, repenting, and being refreshed by you. So God, as we come to this table, we just... Um, believe and ask in faith that you would use it to refresh us. Lord, these elements are not large, but what they symbolize is abundant. Your body broken for us, your blood poured out, establishing a new covenant, a way for us to be in right relationship with you. So Holy Spirit, would you even fill this meal in a special way that it would remind us of you, that we would be refreshed by your presence with us and that we would choose courage over fear um, as we walk with you, Holy Spirit, into our everyday lives. In Jesus' name, amen.